The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is Genesis chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night, they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. 
and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The word of God for the people of God. A few nights ago, uh, my wife and I, Cheyenne, we uh, got to spend a little bit of time together after the kids went down for bed, and we uh, watched a movie together, one of our favorite movies. We're kind of the people that, instead of just going for every new release that comes out, we just kind of have our, you know, rolling favorite movies that we like to come back to uh, now and again. And uh, one of our favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo, which we watched a few nights ago. And one of my kind of top favorite movies, just a great storyline, if you don't know the kind of the premise of it, the main character, Edmund Dantes, is more or less framed for a crime he did not commit, gets thrown in prison in basically the middle of nowhere, escapes that prison, and then for pretty much the rest of the movie is on like this trajectory to get revenge on everyone who tried to put him in that prison. And it's a great storyline with you know, lots of twists and turns, but there's one scene in particular that has always stuck out with me in that movie. And it's that scene towards the beginning-ish part of the movie where the main character, Edmund Dantes, is stuck in prison, and he is completely alone and forgotten and more or less kind of left for dead. Everyone who knew him or did know him has completely forgotten about him. And Edmund is just stuck there, and you get this kind of sense as you watch the movie of just how much he's about to go crazy, and he's kind of confused, and there's that moment where he's kind of scratching on the wall or the, the barrier there of just marking the days, the passing of time as he goes through. And it gives this kind of vivid picture of a man alone and forgotten about. Now, I don't know if you noticed at the end of our reading this morning here in Genesis 40, we meet another man who we know is Joseph, and the text tells us that he too is alone and forgotten. Joseph, our main character through the life of this, or for the, for the duration of this teaching, is finding himself again in a moment of being abandoned, forgotten about, left alone in prison. This story starts with him in prison, alone, and this story here in chapter 40 ends with him explicitly forgotten about, all alone. And it's a story like this that there's a temptation, at least for me, to want to kind of fast forward the story a little bit, just kind of get to the good part, get to next week where Joseph's kind of elevated out of prison, things are restored, things are good for him, and things are back on track, at least how we might want our lives to go, how we want the life of Joseph to go. But this week, as we look at this text, the text I think is intentionally designed even, for us to actually intentionally slow down and ponder this moment in Joseph's story. This moment where Joseph is alone and explicitly forgotten about, and ask ourselves this very simple question, what in the world is God doing in a moment like this? Where is God working in the midst of abandonment and loneliness and betrayal? 
How can we know that God is actually moving and acting in Joseph's life and by extension, our lives today? Because I know for many of us in this room with all sorts of stories, all sorts of things happening in your life and in my life, these seasons and moments of loneliness and that sense of abandonment happen more often than we like them to, to occur. And so as we look at this text this morning, we're going to see this kind of one simple idea, this one simple truth that many of you probably have heard before, but we're going to be reminded of it again. And it's simply this, God is still working. God is still working in those moments of loneliness, those moments of feeling abandoned, those moments of feeling completely, utterly forsaken. The truth that this text is inviting us to see is that God is still at work. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you again to turn with me to Genesis chapter 40. As we see and we remind ourselves of this truth that God is still at work, and we're going to see this play out in three particular ways. That God is still at work, or still working, number one, through details. That God is still at work through diligence. And God is still working even through disappointment. Details, diligence, and disappointment. So, number one, through the details. If you have your Bible, verse one of chapter 40 reads this. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in prison where Joseph was confined. There we see right there at the end of verse 3, that word confined. Here's Joseph, again, alone. He's by himself. He's confined. Think about Joseph and all that we know about him. He's the man who's had these dreams, the man who's had these visions for what he thought his life was going to be about. He had this idea of what God was going to do in him and through him and the lives of the people around him. And here at the beginning of chapter 40, we find that he is simply confined. He's trapped in a sense. Life isn't panning out the way that he wants it to pan out. He's alone. And yet also at the beginning of the story, we're also introduced to two new characters that we haven't come across yet the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker. These two characters will go unnamed throughout the, the story, but they actually provide really important kind of information for us as we kind of see what God is doing in the life of Joseph. The chief cupbearer would have been the one who was very prominent in the kingdom along with Pharaoh, and his main responsibility as the cupbearer would have been to more than likely make the wine for the king of Egypt, but more importantly, to make sure that wine was not poisonous for Pharaoh. So if anyone wanted to attempt to kill Pharaoh or have sort of kind of a coup to kind of take his place, it was the chief cupbearer's responsibility to make sure the wine would not harm the king. And likewise, the baker functioned in a similar role, but primarily focused on the food. And very similar to the cupbearer, his job was to make sure that not only the food was made for the king, but also protected and avoiding any sort of poison or any sort of attempt on his life. But in addition, notice also what we're told in this story. Look at verse 4 in the text. In verse 4, we're also told, we're told that these two, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, were entrusted to, under the authority of, the captain of the guard to Joseph. That it's the captain of the guard 
that is making the decision for Joseph to be the one in charge of both the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, question for you, who is the captain of the guard? It's okay if you, you don't know, but if you kind of flip back probably just one page in your Bible into to chapter 39, you were told that the captain of the guard was none other than Potiphar himself. Now think about this for a moment. If you're Potiphar, and you were told that this man Joseph attempted to sleep with your wife, why would you entrust Joseph with the stewardship and the authority of these two prisoners? Why would you trust Joseph in this moment? Unless there was something perhaps inside that you didn't fully believe what your own wife was saying about the incident. I mentioned last week kind of in passing that there's some evidences in the text of how Potiphar perhaps doesn't actually believe fully what his wife, his wife was saying about what Joseph attempted to do. And here we see such a piece of evidence here that actually, perhaps, Joseph's reputation, Joseph's character is actually gaining him favor, even with the captain of the guard, even in Joseph's moment here in prison. Now, why is all of this important? Why should we care at all about any of the things that we're reading about right now? Well, if you're Joseph, let's start with this. If you're Joseph, you're alone, abandoned, you're confined, verse 3, in the pit, alone in prison. Why should you care at all about the chief cupbearer and the baker? Why do you care at all about these two people? These people without a name in the story. These people that have nothing to do with your own personal life. Well, it's actually through the details of these two unnamed characters that God is still working in the life of Joseph. And it's through Joseph's reputation, his little faithfulness over the long haul, that's perhaps gaining him a little momentum and gaining him an opportunity to even have the chance to serve and to minister to the cupbearer and the baker throughout the story. And as Joseph is encountering these two characters, notice in verse 6 what we read. How Joseph, verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning, again, the chief cupbearer and the baker, he saw that they were troubled. So he, Joseph, asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Think about what's happening here in this moment of the story. Not only is Joseph alone, he's confined, he's, in a sense, all by himself in prison, left away from his family, what he knew growing up, he is now in this new spot, alone in prison, but he's taking the time he slows down and notices this very small detail that the people that he is with are troubled. That their faces are downcast. Even in his own loneliness, even in his own moment of abandonment, in a sense, Joseph is slowing down and there's this Moment where Joseph notices this small detail. They're troubled. Their faces are downcast. These two unnamed characters that, if you're Joseph, I don't even know who you are. I've never met you before. Why do you matter into my story? No, no, no. Joseph slows down and notices. This reminds me of something that one of my favorite pastors I love to read and kind of learn from, Eugene Peterson, would often talk about. 
Eugene Peterson, not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, but someone who I think embodied what it meant to be a faithful pastor over the long haul, loving and caring and shepherding God's people. And Eugene Peterson would often talk about this idea of kind of his mindset, his frame of mind that he would have as he was working with people, serving people, helping them along in their journey. And he would talk about how he would intentionally want to remind himself of this very simple idea, that he was always late to the meeting. And here's what he meant by this. Very simply, that God is already at work in someone's life. God is already doing stuff in your life and in my life. God is already at work in the world, and in that sense, I am sort of late to the meeting. God has already taken the initiative. God has already moving in the details, in the stories of all of our lives. And it's not me who just comes and announces, and it's not me who kind of makes things happen, Peterson would say, but it's me who is actually late to the party or late to the meeting. In fact, this is what he would say in one of his books. Peterson writes, when I engage in conversation or a meeting, I am coming in on something that has already been in process for a long time. God has been the central reality of that process. God has already taken the initiative. Like one who walks late to a meeting, I am entering a complex situation in which God has said decisive words and acted in detailed ways. My work is not necessarily to announce that, but to discover what he is doing and join with it. Do you see what he's saying there? That God is already at work in the details and in the moments of our lives. That we don't have to make it happen. We're not the ones that take the initiative, but we're the ones in a sense that, quote unquote, show up late to the meeting, if you will. And that's exactly what I think Joseph is doing. Joseph is slowing down, he's noticing, and he's noticing how God is already at work in the lives of his own personal life and the lives of the people around him. And perhaps this might be an invitation for you and for me to recognize where in those small ways is God already at work? Where in your life and in my life, why, where we might be invited to slow down and quote-unquote be late to the meeting? To recognize that you and I aren't the ones taking the initiative, but God is already at work. And especially in moments of loneliness and abandonment, this can be really hard to do. It can be really hard to notice details. It can be really hard to notice even other people, let alone major things happening in life. But the truth that this text is wanting to communicate to you and to I is that God still is at work. God is still working in the small, little, seemingly insignificant details of your own personal life and in the lives of the people that you and I come in contact with. And so by God's grace and by God's spirit, may we be the kinds of people that rely on him, asking God, give me your eyes to see. Give me your ears to hear what you are already up to in the world. Because friends, God is still working in the details. But number two, God is still working through diligence. The diligence that we'll see in this text of Joseph. Again, I want to point you back to verse four real quick. In verse four, we read that Joseph, the text says, attended to the chief cupbearer and the baker. 
Now that word attend there is not just, it's not like some incredibly fancy word or anything. It's just a very simple word often used throughout the Bible to speak of someone who serves someone else. And what we're told here in this moment of the story is that Joseph, again, in his moment of being confined, in his moment of being in prison, takes the initiative to respond to what's happening around him and steps out to serve those with him. If you think about this, though, for a moment, the, the initiative in the moments and pains in the, the, the areas of our lives where we feel abandoned and alone, to take that time to serve someone else can be really hard. It's really easy, I know for me in particular, that when I feel abandoned or alone, things aren't going the way I want them to, it's very easy to turn sort of insular and just focus on my own self, my own problems, my own circumstances. But here's a picture of a man, as God is working through him, that God is still working in his life, that takes time to attend to, to serve those around him. And how does Joseph serve? Well, the text says in verse 8, as they come to him after they've been troubled, they said, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. That here's, again, another example of Joseph's diligence, Joseph's faithfulness, that as he is about to respond to the needs of the people around him, that he does so as a spokesperson for God. That he does not just come up with his own ideas or his own sort of whatever might be on his heart, but he says, no, interpretations, what God is going to say, it's only from him. Do not interpretations come from God. Again, friends, this is a beautiful and also very challenging sort of moment in this story. Joseph, alone and abandoned, takes the initiative to serve. Now, I know for so many of us in this room that we're in this moment right now, feeling alone and abandoned and a sense of, God, where are you? God, are you even working? in my life. And you might be wondering, like, so you're telling me I need to go serve someone else? Like, I'm hurting. I, I, I'm falling apart. Life is, is crumbling around. I have no sense of security or a sense of God's presence in my life. How, how can you even toss that idea out there that we should be serving others in the midst of our own pain and loneliness? Now, there, I want to I be careful here because there is an aspect of, for sure, in a moment where the wound is fresh, you've just come up against something that's completely difficult and just earth-shattering and completely blindsided. There is a sense, for sure, we need to take the space and the time to lament and to grieve. And it might not be the, the wisest thing to just step in and serve right away. That we need space to heal and to grow. 100% for sure. So I think the scriptures and myself, we want to make space for that, for sure. And at the same time, recognize that a means of God's grace in our lives to bring us to places from loneliness to connection, places from feeling abandoned to places of feeling secure and connected with God's people and God's presence might actually be through serving. That perhaps a means of God working by his spirit in our lives is that 
when the time is right, by the wisdom and the power of the Spirit, that we actually take a small initiative, a small step to notice those around us and to step into the lives of other people and that it might even be through the process of serving someone else that God brings healing and comfort and connection and security to our lives. Because this seems to be what's happening in this story, that God is still at work through Joseph's diligence to still take that step, to still notice that person and respond to someone's practical need in his own life. So God is still at work through the details, those small insignificant things, through the diligence that Joseph is demonstrating. And third, God is still at work even through disappointments. As Joseph is kind of hearing these stories, or hearing these dreams rather, Joseph begins to interpret these dreams for them. And he tells the chief cupbearer, hey, you know what? The dream is favorable. The response, the interpretation is favorable. In three days, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is going to come and he's going to restore you back to the position that you had. Things are going to be well for you. You're going to be set free. You're going to have your position back. But look at verse 14. Look at how Joseph follows up and says in verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. This, it seems to me, is one of the first times that we hear Joseph kind of really express what's on his heart. Here's Joseph coming to this point where he's giving the, the, the interpretation of the dream, but he also says in verse 14 and 15, but remember me. Remember me. Show me kindness. Don't forget about me. He's naming what's happened in his life. I was stolen here. I was brought here unjustly. I've been thrown into this pit unjustly. I don't want to be here, Joseph says. He's able to honestly name the pain. He's able to honestly name the brokenness. He's fully vulnerable with the fact that he does not want these circumstances. He says, get me out of this house. I don't want to be here. It's the honesty and the boldness of Joseph that I so respect in this moment of the story. Because it's honest of the human condition. That when we are in these moments of loneliness and pain and feeling isolated, there's often a temptation to maybe just put a smile on and pretend like things are okay when they're actually not okay. But here Joseph has the courage and the vulnerability to say, I don't want to be here. This is not what I signed up for. So please, he sees like this slight glimmer of hope, this slight chance he has of perhaps this might be my avenue out. Please remember me. Friends, notice the honesty and the courage that Joseph speaks with here. But also notice that as Joseph is being bold and courageous in a sense, being able to name the pain for what it really is, to name what's on his heart, name his desires of wanting to get out of this mess, he does so in such a way that there's no sense of anger toward his family. There's no sense of bitterness towards his brothers. And there's no sense of even kind of resentment to Potiphar and anyone around that's been a part of his story so far. 
that this is an evidence of God working through the disappointments that Joseph is facing, that Joseph is able to name the pain for what it really is, name the hurt and, and the, the, the longing to want to get out of this mess, to get out of this situation, and at the same time, to name that pain without any bitterness, anger, or resentment. Again, easier said than done. Not something that, if we're honest, we're particularly good at. It's much easier to say what's maybe true, but with a sense of anger and bitterness and resentment. It's much easier to just kind of complain in such a way that maybe tears someone down in the process. But again, we see an evidence of God working in Joseph's life that he's able to do these sorts of things, be vulnerable and honest without the bitterness and the anger. And by God's grace, with God's spirit working in your life and in my life, God can transform and work through these moments of disappointment and pain where we can still be honest and vulnerable and say what it really is. But God is still healing us and working through us that it doesn't come with this sense of angerness and resentment and bitterness in our lives. But as the story continues, though, notice in verse 16, the baker's like, hey, the cupbearer got a good answer. Let me get in line, right? The verse 16 says when the cupbearer or when the baker saw that the, the, the interpretation was favorable, he comes to Joseph and says, well, while you're kind of in the business of kind of helping us out, getting us, getting us out of here, here's my dream. And Joseph responds and gives the interpretation for the baker's dream, and it's unfortunately on the opposite end here. And so in three days, Joseph says... You're going to get out of the prison, but Pharaoh's going to have your head. And to a T, exactly what Joseph says happens. In verses 20 and following, we're told exactly what took place was exactly what Joseph said. But then look at verse 23 again. Three days later, everything goes as planned, or everything goes as Joseph said, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Joseph is forgotten and alone again. Can you imagine? Imagine having this expectation, this, this desire of, okay, it's just going to be three days. Hopefully, the cupbearer is going to remember me. And in three days, I have a fighting chance to get out of here. Three days go by. Just imagine Joseph looking out at the, the gate or the door. Nothing happens. A few more days go by. Nothing happens. Weeks, months. And if you peek at the next chapter, we're going to find out it's two full years before the chief cupbearer cup has any chance of remembering Joseph in the pit. What was only supposed to be three days has, will end up becoming two years. Joseph waiting alone. Where is God in that? What disappointment is Joseph facing in that moment? And where is God in the midst of that? All Joseph can do is simply wait. 
all Joseph, the only option Joseph has is to wait. Wait for God to act. Wait for the Lord to move. Wait for the, for the king of the universe to intervene again in Joseph's life. It's these moments of, of feeling alone and abandoned that, that in a similar way, like Joseph, we're in positions and circumstances in life when we're required to wait. We're called to wait. Because that's all we can do. Waiting on the Lord to move and to act. Waiting and believing that God still is working, even through the details and the diligence to still faithfully serve, and even through our disappointments. Waiting for the Lord to show up. That's all Joseph can do. Isaiah 40 reminds us that those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. All Joseph can do is wait. And there's the temptation as we look at this story to just sort of want to fast forward to the good part. Just want to get to that moment of the story where everything's better, Joseph's restored, and Joseph's finally out of the pit. But again, like I mentioned at the beginning, this story intentionally has this moment, this pause moment of seeing Joseph alone in the pit again. And it seems to me that the scriptures are intentionally inviting you and I as the readers to slow down with that and to really ask ourselves the question, where is God in the midst of that? To not rush past this story, this moment. To not pretend like things are okay when they're really not okay. To offer us a way by God's grace to wait on the Lord. To wait for God to act because he is already still working in your life and in my life. To slow down and pay attention to this story. To pay attention to the fact that this story, if we stare at it long enough, if we sit with it long enough, begins to point us to the person of Jesus. Think about this. Here's Joseph, an innocent man, standing between two criminals. One of the criminals was in charge of the wine. One of the criminals was in charge of the bread. Joseph, an innocent man, declares that in three days something is going to happen. And likewise, Jesus declared in three days, I would be resurrected from the dead. Joseph, this innocent man, all he can do is wait on the Lord. And it's because of the work of Jesus Christ himself on our behalf, his life and his death and his resurrection, that we do not wait idly by. That because of who Christ is and because of what Christ has done for you and for I, we know that we have access to the Father. We have the power in the presence of the Spirit. That as we wait for the Lord, as we are honest before God in our moments of pain and hardship, we know that we are not left forsaken. We know that we are not left abandoned. Joseph is alone in the pit. All he can do is wait. Friends, you and I, so many of us in this room, there's moments and seasons that we thought were going to be quick, three days. And it's turned into much longer, 
than we're prepared for. There's seasons and there's moments in all our stories and maybe even right now here this morning where that sense of loneliness and abandonment is just, it's too real. It's too painful. But the truth of this text, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is reminding you and I today that we are not left alone. That God is near. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to you and to I in our moments, in these real moments of pain and loneliness. Hebrews 13 reminds us, because of what Christ has done, never will I leave you nor forsake you. That we can hold on to that truth, hold on to the good news of what Christ has done, that neither will, never will I leave you nor forsake you. And for so many of us, my hope and prayer is that we're reminded again of God's forever loving presence with you and with I. That we know and experience the comfort of God in our real, difficult, and severe moments of pain. And that we're reminded that we do not have to pretend like things are okay when they're not okay. Because we know and we love and we trust that God is with us even still. Peter reminds us that in our moments of pain and suffering, Peter would write this. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself, will himself personally comfort, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered a little while, the promise is that God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So Father, we ask, we pray, that, God, you would do that work. That, God, in our real moments of pain and in hardship, those moments of loneliness, that, God, right now, you would remind us of your goodness and your love and your presence. That, God, you would help us to see where you are already at work. God, that you would help us, Lord. Help those of us who are in those real moments right now. Draw near and comfort. God, bring restoration, bring healing. God, we look to you. We believe, but help our unbelief. Jesus, we love you only because you first loved us, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.